I tell you, I know the Thanksgiving feast that we've done for years with 180, many of you donate to that and you help out and provide food and, and volunteer. Uh, one of my favorite things from working with 180 is that feast. When we would hear students say, man, this is the only Thanksgiving meal that I'm going to get this year. And it was just awesome to, to know that. That's the ministry that when you give here at Union Chapel, that's the ministry that is happening hands-on right there. So it's a really neat thing. Let's give our student ministry a round of applause. They're doing awesome work. Way to go, guys. We love you. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jeff Hughes, and I serve as the Connections Pastor here at UC. And simply put, what that means is if there's anything that I can do to help you connect better with God or connect better to our church, that's why I'm here. And I love that. And so you can drop me an email uh, through our website, or you can stop by the office, and I would love to help you and your family answer any questions that you may have and help you get better plugged in. This Thanksgiving weekend, I'm excited to uh, preach this message called Table Manners. If you have a Bible, mobile device, whatever you read the scriptures on, I invite you to make your way to Acts chapter 10. And I'll give you a brief summary. I want to look at some of the problems that we can have of being exclusive instead of inclusive with the gospel. Both in personal relationships and even corporately here in this message today, we'll, we'll learn from the Apostle Peter. So if you will stand, we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. Stand as you're able for the reading of God's word. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the Lord, and prayed continuously to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among them, from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And now let's look in verse 9 about Peter's vision. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry. You know, I love Acts 10.10 10 because it helps me know that I'm not the only one. When I go to pray, I become hungry, and then we'll see in a minute he totally just falls asleep, right? Maybe that's you as well. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell in a trance, fell asleep. While he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice saying to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again saying a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the, to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for you coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. 
So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he rose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now, let me pause for just a minute. Remain standing. Let me summarize the next few verses, and then we're going to read a couple more verses. In the following verses, Peter travels to Caesarea with Cornelius and his friends and relatives to speak with them. And Peter tells them in verse 28, hey, it's unlawful for me to actually associate with you. I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. This is unlawful. But God showed me in a dream. And so I should speak to anyone and none of God's people are unclean. So when you guys showed up, I came without objection. Cornelius then responds to Peter and he says this. Yeah, in fact, four days ago I was praying and a bright guy in clothing appeared and told me exactly where and how to find you. In fact, basically plug your address in the GPS and hit go and, and here we are. So let's pick up in verse 33. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. It's good news. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. Peter opens his mouth. He preaches the gospel. And then our last verse for this morning is verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, before you sit down, I want you to tap someone on the shoulder nearby and say, we need to erase our excuses for being exclusive. Say it now. Erase our excuses for being exclusive. Then you can grab a seat. Thanks for those of you who humored me in that. It was fun. I was a freshman in high school growing up in West Texas, and I was headed to a cotillion banquet with my girlfriend and her family at the time. Now, those of you not familiar with cotillion banquets, think a place setting with multiple forks and all kinds of utensils and a very confused young man. My mom, with a desire to help, was providing some last-minute coaching tips on table manners and etiquette. She was careful to cover things like napkins and chairs and, and opening doors and those kinds of things. I was seated at this table with my date, her parents, mom and dad, her grandparents, her older sister, older sister's date. The whole family was gathered here. Not only were we gathered at a nice fancy table, but there was a whole room full of people all dressed up and sitting in this room. The room was full. Halfway through dinner, my date scoots back her chair, and I realize she is excusing herself to head to the ladies' room. My mother's last-minute wisdom and etiquette scrolled through my head, and I was careful to remember that when my date stands, that I, too, should stand and that I should help her with her chair, make sure the tablecloth doesn't get caught or anything like that. And so I noticed what was going on. I sprung into action, grabbed the back of her chair, helped her up, and she made her way to the ladies' room while I stood there waiting on her to return. You see, until her grandpa said, hey, son, you don't have to wait till she gets back. You can sit down, you know. I thought, oh, my goodness. Mom had told me all of these rules, and in that moment, what I wanted to do is dump my water all over grandpa because he had embarrassed me in front of the whole place, right? 
But in mom's last minute quick prep, she forgot to tell me that when my date is excused and actually leaves the table that I can sit back down. I was so embarrassed. It was awful. I wanted to just leave. And so here I am realizing what other table manners did my mom forget to tell me and what, how else am I going to be embarrassed in this moment? Well, table manners are important, aren't they? They are. And today what I want to do in this message, I want to look at four table manners that really will help us to remove our excuses for being exclusive, both in our personal evangelism and in our corporate worship here at the church. Now, it's my hope that these reminders will do a little more than just set us up for failure like my mom's reminders did on that day. If you want to grab your bulletin notes, you can see that there's a fill in the blank. And the first table manner is we need to practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Jesus has clear words to say about the importance of practicing hospitality, doesn't he? We see in the gospel of, of Luke chapter 5 these words. Jesus replied, those who are well do not need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Can we just pause and just say, thank God. Thank God for that. That Jesus stepped into our world, that Jesus stepped into our mess, that we didn't have to have everything all figured out in our lives, but Jesus walked in to our lives. You see, when we ignore or treat badly people who have not yet begun to follow Jesus or associate themselves with a life-giving church, we are failing to follow the example, the model that Christ set for us. But Jesus did it right, didn't he? He walked into people's stories. He walked shoulder to shoulder. He went into the homes of all kinds of people and had a meal with them and talked. And he shared life with them. Because Jesus knew that, that practicing hospitality was important. And he also knew that it meant going out of his way to serve and to connect with others for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me ask you about your life. Can that be described of you? Willing to... Go out of your way to serve and connect with others for the sake of the gospel. When is the last time that that, that phrase would have described your life? Recently or was it, a, was it a long time ago? Let's kind of just do a self-evaluation here. In the old classic movie, To Kill a Mockingbird, which I heard is making its way back to Broadway soon. But in this old movie with Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch, at one point in the movie... His daughter, Scout, makes fun of the way Walter, this country boy, is eating at the table. You see, apparently Walter liked to pour syrup over everything on his plate and just devour it without any manners at all. Scout is pulled into the kitchen by the housekeeper, Capernia. And Capernia says to Scout, I quote these words, That boy is your company, and if he wants to eat up that tablecloth, you let him, you hear? And if you can't act fit to eat like folks, you can just sit here and eat in the kitchen. Scout is sent back to the table with a smack on her backside, and we understand the importance there. Practicing hospitality means that we must welcome people to the table who are different than us. And I've found personally that keeping this in mind helps me a lot. The idea that the table of the Lord is one that we've all been invited to by no work of our own. You see, there's nothing that you have done that invites you to the table of the Lord. There's nothing that you can do to get there except receiving and, and saying, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for the seat at the table and sitting down. There's nothing you can do. 
But so often what we do is we have our seat and then we put up reserve signs. Don't let anybody else at the table, right? We think it's only for us. It's an exclusive seat. Theologian John Piper says this about hospitality. We'll put it on the screen. He says, the physical force of gravity pulls everything to the center of the earth, right? In order to break free from earth-centered life, thousands and thousands of pounds of energy have to push a space shuttle away from the center. So that's the physical force of gravity, but there's also a psychological force of gravity. Let's listen to what he says. He says, it constantly pulls our thoughts and actions, our affections, physical actions inward toward the center of our own selves and our own homes. Therefore, the most natural thing in the world to do is to neglect hospitality. It is the path of least resistance. In fact, all we have to do is yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life, and the result will be a life so full of ourselves that there will be no room for hospitality. We will forget about it. We will neglect that. The Bible bluntly says, stop that. Stop that. That's some good coaching there. Build a launching pad, fill up your boosters, and blast out of your self-oriented routine. Stop neglecting hospitality. Practice hospitality. Man, those are some amazing words, aren't they? Wonderful words. The most natural thing for us to do is to neglect hospitality. Now think about your life. We neglect hospitality pretty easy, don't we? But when it's time to be hospitable, we have to do some extra things. One thing that I love about my role here as Connections Pastor at UC is that I see people get connected all the time. It's a regular thing. But I'll tell you this, that hospitality and care for people who are not connected to a church and don't understand the programs or where to go, it takes work. And it's challenging. And we have a team of people who do a wonderful, amazing job. But I want to say something to you. There's one team that we do not have. We do not have a hospitality team at Union Chapel. And here's why. Because if you worship with us here on a regular basis, if you call Union Chapel your home, you say, this is where I'm going to be, this is where I'm going to attend, and you've attended with us for a while, and you're a regular, you're becoming more and more a regular, you are a part of the hospitality team. So welcome to the team. It's what we all do. It's part of being an owner of the vision and the mission here. So there's no name tag. There's no set list of responsibilities. But if you call UC home, welcome to the hospitality team. We're called to help. We're called to serve. We're called to go above and beyond for the guests that God brings in, whether if it's their first time or their hundredth time. Welcome to the hospitality team. John Piper says this, yield to the natural gravity of our self-centered life is very easy for us to do. I mean, you don't even have to think about that. We just go, yeah, that makes sense. If I yield to the natural cause of life, I'm going to be self-centered. I'm going to be focused on me. Where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to eat, me, 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 all about me. But we make our lives so full of ourselves that there's little room for anyone else, much less those who are unconnected. We must resist this psychological force of gravity and practice hospitality. Here's the second table manner for us this morning. Eat what's on your plate. Eat what's on your plate. In Acts chapter 10, 17 and 18, in verse 17, we see that Peter is inwardly perplexed. 
And that phrasing to me is pretty interesting. In fact, it's a bit unique. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder if the words inwardly perplexed have ever described anyone in this room here this morning. Perhaps you were actually inwardly perplexed in preparing for Thanksgiving at your home if you hosted this week. You're inwardly perplexed about who all is coming, how many people, how many seats do we need, what kind of food do we need, how big does the turkey have to be, what time do we cook the turkey, what do I do when my son pulls out that little red timer in the turkey. You're not supposed to do that apparently. All of these things can make us inwardly perplexed, but we can also be inwardly perplexed in our spiritual lives. When God is calling us to do something, but we're just in turmoil, God's saying, man, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to say this. This is the way I want you to live, but we are in turmoil and we are inwardly perplexed. I can relate to that, but let's read on. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging. Now, here's something that I love and is so relevant to us. In verse 17, while Peter is inwardly perplexed about what this dream might mean, he hears this. He's talking to God about what the dream might mean. I'm so torn. God, what are you trying to say? And it's almost like he pause, has to push pause button in the conversation. Oh, there's somebody at the gate. He goes to the gate, and there's somebody there. Not just somebody, somebody who God had sent. Here's the application for us this morning. Eat what's on your plate simply means that we should be looking for the people that God sets right before us. We should be looking for the people right before us. It's our plate. So many times in our lives we worry, we live in turmoil, we're inwardly perplexed, but there's a reason that these people are in your life and you were called to make a difference in theirs. But we sit around and we wonder, we're inwardly perplexed. God, how do you want to use me? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to reach? Where do you want me to go? Take some time and just think about who's on your plate. Who's on your plate? You don't have to be inwardly perplexed. Just answer the question, who is on your plate? Who is at the gate of your life? And will you sit and, and wonder and be worried about how God's going to use you? Or when the knock comes, will you answer the gate? Now you say, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? I want to challenge you this morning to think of coworkers, to think of friends, people who you associate all the time with. Maybe they're parents the same age of your children, or maybe it's someone who you see in the break room all the time at work, or if you're a high school or college student, maybe it's someone who sits near you in one of your classes. Think about these people. These are people who God has set right before you, and you have an opportunity to be Jesus to them, to be hospitable to them, to share life with these people. The entire story that we see from Acts chapter 10 is about God getting good news to an entire people group. But it all began with one person who knocked on the gate. And maybe there's somebody knocking on the gate of your life. And who knows? They might be the next person to come to Christ through your conversations there. And of course, this would take time. They might begin to follow Jesus. They may begin to associate themselves with Union Chapel. And who knows, we may send them to Kazakhstan or some other place here uh, in the States to plant a church where hundreds and thousands of people will hear about Jesus. 
It all begins with us being faithful to say, who is right before me? Who are the people I'll see this week? Who are the people I saw last week that God put into my life for me to be purposeful about sharing Christ with those people? We can make excuses like Peter did, but we see what happened to him as God put him to sleep, spoke to him in a dream, and then he woke up in turmoil. And he was perplexed with what God was trying to say. You don't have to be inwardly perplexed. Just take some time to ask the question, God, who have you put right before me in my life? Who have you put right here on my plate? Here's the third table manner this morning. Pass the food. Pass the food. Now, quick show of hands. Who in the last few days has either said or heard the phrase, hey, could you pass the blank the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the green beans, the pie. Yeah, I know we're getting hungry. But we've all heard that phrase just in the last few days, haven't we? Here's a family favorite of ours. I'm hungry, but I just don't know what I want. Maybe it's pumpkin pie or apple pie. Or maybe it's mashed potatoes or maybe it's more stuffing. You know, we live these lives and we, we have all these choices of things, Right? I won't, uh, I won't ask you to show hands, gentlemen, so just continue to look me in the eye, but maybe you've been in that moment before where your significant other or your wife, and you're trying to choose a place to go to dinner. Yeah. And I'm hungry, but I just don't know what I want. Well, there's 57 million places in Muncie to eat, but sometimes we can't make a decision in that moment. Well, can I tell you a spiritual truth here? Let me give you a spiritual truth. Everybody in this world is hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them just don't know it yet. They just don't know. They haven't had the opportunity. They haven't had the moment. They haven't had the person that encountered their life to say, you know what? Welcome to the table of grace. There are people who go through life and they try to satisfy their souls in millions of ways. You've, you've seen them and perhaps even seen them in the mirror staring back at you. But there's only one thing that will satisfy our soul. And that's that craving that can be only satisfied by a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity to pass the food. We have an opportunity to share what we have been given to other people. To tell somebody about Jesus. This last Tuesday, November the 20th, was a significant day in my life. You see, May 22nd is my physical birthday. You can go ahead and put that in your calendar if you want, May 22nd. I accept cards only if they have cash in them, May 22nd. But November the 20th is my spiritual birthday. And November the 20th, many, many years ago, I was in a, in a third grade small group, a church gathering in, in West Texas, and, and my Sunday school teacher had invited a guest student teacher in, and he was a junior in high school. His name was Chris. And Chris shared about Jesus that day in a way that was so meaningful to me. It was like the scales of my eyes were just torn off, and I could see that there was a God who loved me, and he sent his son Jesus, and it all made sense. And Chris shared the gospel with us that day, and I'm so thankful that he was invited and said yes. I'm thankful for Peggy, who continues to teach young children in Texas and in this specific church about Jesus. But here's what I know. I'm standing here today as someone following Jesus because many, many years ago, someone decided to pass the food. Someone decided to share 
Jesus. So it began with my Sunday school teacher and my parents and this high school student, Chris, who shared that day and many, many more people. But let me ask you this. Who is over in our children's ministry right now in a third or fourth grade classroom hearing about Jesus right now? And they're going to reach hundreds and thousands of people for Christ. Let me make it even more specific. Who is going to go home with you in the car today as a middle school, a high school student, and they're gonna, they live life with you every single day, parents. And you have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Not, not in a way where you force upon them your values and your beliefs, but in a way where you authentically live for Jesus on demonstration for them day in and day out until they pick up the faith for their own. We have an opportunity to pass the food And Jesus, forgive us when we hog the food. Forgive us when we think selfishly, more, more, more. Let me have all of the food over here. When there's enough of Jesus to go around, isn't there? There's enough. We see in Acts 10, 19, and 20, while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for you coming? Why are you here? I love this. Peter's pondering the vision and the spirit of God speaks to him and says, hey, Pete, there's three guys. I want you to go with them without hesitation. I want you to talk to this whole nation of people who don't know about the Lord, who don't understand God's good grace. And we see in verse 22 that they say Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man, is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel. Like this angel appears and just maps the people right to Peter's gate. Friends, I believe that there are people right now in your life, and you don't know it yet, but they are being routed to you. They're being directed to your life. See, I think that these relationships that we have where we meet people, uh, maybe it's a, in, a, in a grocery store aisle and you meet somebody, or, or maybe it's a, a connection that you have with someone at work or a neighbor or a friend that's a new associate. I believe that God puts these people in our lives, sometimes for a short season, sometimes forever, for an opportunity for our lives to intersect so we can be the gospel of Jesus But we've got to understand something. What I want us to do is take a couple minutes and step even further into Acts chapter 10. Just to walk right into the gospel. So here here we go. We've got to understand the cultural significance of this. Peter had disregarded the Gentiles, Cornelius and all his friends. Because the cultural norms of the day would say Jews have nothing to do with Gentiles when it comes to spiritual matters. And the Gentiles are outside of the the covenant promises of God. And that's what's going on in Peter's dream in Acts chapter 10, verse 15 and 16. This voice comes and it says, what God has made clean, don't you dare call unclean. This group of people are different, but I am taking you to reach them. I'm using you and all you have to do is open the gate. God's plan is way bigger than what Peter could ever imagine. And what I want to tell you today is God's plan is way bigger than you can see right now. There's somebody who's in this service right here today, and you think God is finished with you. You think maybe you're nearing retirement, or maybe you've been following Jesus for a little while, and so you say, you know what, I'm going to just put this on the shelf. I don't need to live in a way that's authentic with people and following Jesus' commands. I'm just going to ride it out until we're done. 
there's something bigger ahead. And God has a plan for you. God's not finished with you. No matter your age. God's just getting started with you. He's just getting started with our church. And God's plan is way bigger than what you can see right now. We saw that with our church planting initiatives. We thought 10 churches in 10 years would be a lofty goal. All right. Well, we've revised that. We're planting 100 churches by God's grace over the next 10 years. What an amazing, amazing opportunity to say, God, we don't know. We don't know. But what we're realizing is you're giving us favor. You're setting before us people to reach and resources to reach them. And what an amazing time. Can I just tell you, I've been on staff 19 years here at Union Chapel, and this season that we are in is the most exciting we have ever been in. And there are bigger, greater things that are just, that are just right here. They're just right here. We can, we can reach and they're just, they're just right there. And in this next season, in this next year, God is going to continue to show himself faithful, to do what he has already done, multiplied a hundredfold in our lives and in our church. If you believe that, we can grab a hold of the goodness of God because he won't lead us to a promise that he will not walk through us. God's plan is bigger than what Peter could see. In the same way that God is trying to get Peter to see, to reach these people and reach a nation, there's somebody that God is putting on your plate and in your life, and he's asking you to pass the food. Here's the fourth and final table manner. Make more room around the table. Make more room around the table. Has anyone here ever sat at the kids' table? You know what I'm talking about? You've seen the kids' table? Yeah, we all have. In my house, the kids' table growing up would be just a little bit of a distance away from the adult table, the main table. And it would be a card table, if you will. It had some folding chairs that had just kind of been dusted off right before the Thanksgiving gathering. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It had a had a little tablecloth over it, but the table was a little wobbly itself. You had to be careful with your drinks. You especially would never, ever, ever set the gravy boat on the kids' table. Ever. Don't do it. Well, I want you to contrast this vision, this idea of the kids' table with this next story that I want to tell you. You see, one Thanksgiving many years ago before we had kids, my wife and I decided to make the 13-hour journey unannounced, and uninvited to my grandmother's house in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The only person who knew about it was my mother, and there were 12 other people in the household. Now, my mom was in on the plan. She knew what was going on, but the idea is that we would show up right there, right before the Thanksgiving meal. We had timed it just perfect. We had even done the customary Thanksgiving morning phone call uh, acting like we were in Indiana, all, all the while we were in Tulsa on our way towards Oklahoma City. Yeah, the parade's great. What would you think about that float? Oh, yeah, that was great. Did you see that part? Yeah, that's awesome. How's the weather? Oh, it's a little chilly, you know. All right, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. While we're en route to this house to interrupt Thanksgiving dinner. Well, it was a lot of fun. So my grandmother opens the door, my wife and I are standing there, and with great joy and delight, I'm so glad that she was kind of standing there holding on to something, uh, she puts out her arms and she's got these waggy arms that look like a turkey neck, right, and she does one of these things, 
She hugs me. She hugs my wife. She says, get in this house. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe you would surprise us like this and drive all the way without us even knowing. She's calling us a turkey and all that. But here's what she did next. She walks us in the house after planting kisses on my cheeks. She grabs a chair, seats it at the main table. Grabs a chair for my wife, seats it at the main table. We're not at the kids' table. She goes to the kitchen. She opens the cupboard. She finds a nice china plate, a nice one. She sets a place setting for us. She gets a fork. I got to eat with a real fork. And she welcomes us to the head table. Friends, we have an opportunity to do that for people every single weekend right here at Union Chapel and through the way that we welcome people into the family of God. Contrast those two stories, the the wobbly, rickety card table that'll spill the gravy or the head table. We have an opportunity to authentically welcome by loving and caring people, by sharing God's grace with them. As I close, I want to put this quote here on the screen. We are all invited and welcome to a table of grace. Listen, there's nothing that you did to earn a seat at the table, and there's nothing that you could do to be excused from that table. You are welcome. Therefore, scoot over. Make room for another seat because somebody else is hungry. What an amazing opportunity that we have. Well, this message has an action point. If you have a bulletin, I want to ask you to grab this little card. It says God with us on it. Go ahead and take a look at it. This is a brand new series that we are starting next weekend here at Union Chapel. It's a series that our team is very excited to share because we believe that the Christmas season is one where people's lives are are so much more open to what God wants to do. So what we want you to do is take this invitation card, invite somebody to come to church with you. If they have children, help them get their kids plugged in to children's ministry on, on Saturday night or Sunday morning, whatever service you're coming to. And then make your way with them over here to the meeting space. Maybe grab a cup of coffee ahead of time. We believe God's going to do amazing things through this series called God With Us in this Advent season. But you see, as I look around, there's a few empty seats here today. And what if one of those seats had one of your friends in it in the next season here at UC? What if it had one of your relatives who's far from God that they were invited by you and somebody else who you didn't even know was going to invite them? God has given us an opportunity to let people know that God hears us and he is with us. So take this card and invite someone. In this story from Acts 10, we see that God changes the whole course of history through a man named Peter. What might God want to do through you as we practice hospitality, eat what's on our plate, as we pass the food, and as we make more room around the table? I believe God will do great things. Will you stand up with me and let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for your presence here this morning and all weekend in our services. Thank you for your power. 
Thank you that you speak to us. And even as we leave this place in a moment, you will continue to speak to our hearts. Thank you for welcoming us into a relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to see what you want to do in and through our lives. Now, friend, you don't have to wait until this new series, God With Us. You don't have to wait another day to get right with Jesus. All you have to do is right there where you are, just say in your heart, God, forgive me. Come into my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I want to follow you. And he'll hear your prayer as you do that here this morning. Lord, help us. Forgive us when we take for granted the seat that you've given us at the table and we don't share that grace with others. We love you. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond in worship.